The role of the modern day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of the new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast, and these are their stories. Well, hey, everyone. Good afternoon and welcome to what I know is going to be a fabulous conversation here on behalf of Northern Seminary and the Grow Center. Uh, Today, we have the opportunity to spend um, some time with uh, one of the new faculty members at Northern Seminary, uh, Dr. Beth Felker Jones. And so uh, Beth comes to us as a Chicago local. Uh, she uh, serves at Wheaton College. She is the author of a wide variety of books. I know, uh, Beth, I know you write regularly, I think still for the Christian Century. Um, just lots of um, great wisdom, and if you you know Google her quick, you'll see all of the books and resources and such that she brings to conversations around faith. Uh, she earned a doctorate from Duke and um, is also most recently the author of a great book that we're going to talk about with her today, um, along with some other things, and um, called Pandemic Prayers. So, um, Beth, thank you uh, for joining us. We are so thrilled that you are here, thrilled to uh, get to pick your brain a bit and hear what God is um, just teaching you and where you feel like um, you're being led these days and where you are leading people. So um, with those preliminaries out of the way, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in and just have a great opportunity to learn uh, more about Beth. So wherever you are, just um, take a breath. Bow your head for a moment. I'll pray for us and and then we'll get into it. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of technology that allows so many of us from so many places to engage in this conversation. Lord, we are on different time zones in different places, uh, but in this moment, in this conversation, we are together. So thank you for that space. Lord, we ask your blessing on this time and this conversation. May the fruit of our labor and time together bring you glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Beth, uh, it's great to see you. Thanks again for making space for this. Um, You wrote a very timely and uh, poignant book called Pandemic Prayers. And so would you just open us up here for a minute together. Tell us about that book and tell us, um, for those who haven't read it yet, what what led you to create this resource to write this book? Yeah, thanks for having me. Really glad to, to be with you. Um, I began writing uh, the book right about a year ago as we were all facing the beginning of the pandemic. 
And frankly, I wrote it as a sort of set of desperate prayers of my own um, in that space as, as I was hurting, as we were all hurting, as we were all sort of reeling uh, at the changes uh, that we were facing and so much uncertainty. Um, uh, I knew that I needed to turn to prayer. And as I prayed, um, uh, I hoped that because I'm a writer, I might be able to, uh, in some way, share those writing gifts with the church just in this context. And so I just made a commitment to write a prayer every day for uh, a period. And uh, by the grace of God, it turned into a, a nice little book. So um, I hope that it's useful to others, to the church. Uh, it reflects my own heart and my own desperate need for God in the midst of a rough situation. Um, here we are, right? Still in the midst of it. So. Yeah, it um, it caught me in a good way off guard. Um, mm -hmm. It was very, uh, it's very beautifully written, but it's very raw and honest. And um, I confess sometimes I come to books on prayer with this sort of expectation that they're, you know, that things feel fluffy. Like at the end of a prayer book, you end up on a cloud somewhere or something. They just, they don't always feel... Um, raw to me and uh, this was very in the moment um very raw and one of the things i love in the book is i think early on maybe in the first chapter or two you give us uh, permission to not be okay mm. and so i can you just tell us a little bit like what does that mean like how tell me about not being okay and, and why we need permission for that um yeah i feel like i need permission for it um and you know, I, I think ultimately scripture gives us permission for it. We see in the scriptures and in the prayers of the scriptures, uh, a rawness, a desperation, right? A not okayness uh, that God's people bring, particularly in the Psalms, right? We see this kind of, of pattern. Um, as I was writing some of the early uh, pieces of this book of prayers, uh, devotions and prayers, uh, I was seeing a lot of kind of, chin up encouragement. It's okay, right? There was a lot of, uh, your grandfather had to go to war, you have to sit on the couch, sort of, right? which there's some point to, but I was not okay. <laughs> um, and I wanted to say uh, to people I love, to sisters and brothers uh, in the body of Christ, um, that when we're not okay, God is with us. And you know, that doesn't mean we don't have hope. It doesn't mean uh, that we don't look for good things in the future. And it doesn't mean that God won't carry us through. But I think we're very free to be honest with God about our pain and about our hurt and about our fear and all of the ways that, that we struggle. And this year has been a year of that, hasn't it? So, Yeah, it's, it's been so significant. And I, Goodness. I, I feel like, and, and you sort of, you know, because you take us through basically a year of, of this experience, like you said, and, you know, I, I, every, I feel like every corner we round is a new set of grief. It's mm -hmm. uh, sort of a conversation about, well, you know, obviously none of us knew how long this was going to last. And I think early on there was sort of this, well, we're going to be locked down for a couple of weeks and then by summer we'll be fine, you know, and here we are, are coming up on our second summer of this. And, right. and every, every time you go around a corner, you're like, oh, I didn't anticipate losing that or not having this or, or, you know, holding this pain for these people all this time later. Um, you know, you, uh, you 
exist in a variety of contexts. You have your own family, um, but you also are part of a, a family of two different educational institutions where you kind of hold this space with students who maybe aren't on campus and stuff. So I was a, a bit of a preamble there, but can you just talk about that sort of rolling wave of grief and and this mm -hmm. sort of this this how does uh, how do these prayers take us ongoing and how does this experience just keep moving you know there's not a there's not an obvious end date to this so i don't know if you can say a little bit talk to that a little bit I think you've described it really well. So, so maybe we should let that stand. But um, uh, one of the ways that uh, I tried to engage that in the book uh, was by going through some different themes in different weeks of uh, writing. Um, and so uh, one week of prayers addresses Psalms of Lament, right? Um, another week interacts with um, uh, a medieval Christian mystic, Julian of Norwich. Um, and for me, that sort of focusing on different things as the weeks rolled by uh, was one way to acknowledge what you've just described, the ongoing grief, the ongoing losses, the inability to know the future, which is something that is, is so rough for all of us. Um, uh, but to see also that God is with us through it as, as we go through those, those changes. Um, you know, speaking of students, uh, I think students are often in a place where they don't know what's next. Um, and this year of pandemic has really reminded me what it is to be in that place as I've been kind of settled for a while in one job and, and so on. Um, it's a really hard place to be. Um, and it's a very human thing. It's true of most humans most of the time that we don't want to know what's next. It's always true. Even if we think it's not true, if we think we, we have it settled, it's, it's always true. Um, but God is with us. Oh. Yeah, those are those phases of life, I think, that students and stuff are in where they're already feeling unsettled, and then you add all this. I, I have three teenagers, and um, and it's, it's yeah, it's just been an unsettling season for them. And then as a parent to watch them, you talk about this a little bit when I think you, you talk with your husband asking, you know, is, is our son okay? And I think he says, honey, nobody's okay <laughs> right now. <laughs> a very wise man. Yeah. I have teenagers too. When this thing started, I thought, oh, I feel for people with little kids. And I still do. But at this point, I think it's worse for the teenagers. It's so hard for them. Um, they've really had to face a lot of losses. So. Yeah. And, and they continue to come. So yeah. Um, to go back a little bit, I loved um, learning more of her story. You, you do introduce us to Julian of Norwich in this, in this book. And I did not know the history of the, of the time that she inhabited and her exposure to pandemic and, and possibly some of what she had in her life that was similar to our time. Can you introduce us to her a little bit for folks that don't know much about her and, and why she was significant to, to this book? I'd love to. I, I, I love Julian so much. She's um, been such an important presence in my life through her writings. Um, so Julian is uh, a medieval Christian. And in some ways, we don't know a lot about her. We have this book of writings uh, she left behind, which is usually called the Revelations of Divine Love. Um, and it's thought to be the first book of theology written uh, in the English language by a woman, which is kind of fun. Um, we do know, though, that uh, she was what was called an anchoress, um, or for a man, an anchorite. Uh, and this was a kind of 
office of prayer attached to a church, and that is literally attached to a church. Um, so if you if you took on this calling of uh, the anchoress, um, you would move into a small room attached to the church with a window into the sanctuary where you could see the altar uh, and a window onto the street uh, where you could meet people for prayer and counseling um, and a window uh, to people who would take care of your needs, right? The chamber pot and dinner and uh, so on. But you were literally walled into this room and you committed to being there for the rest of uh, your life. Um, it sounds super strange to us. It, it is super strange, right? But if you think about it in the Middle Ages, you can't call your pastor at night. Um, you can't uh, uh, write an email, write or text your friends. And the anchorite is there all the time, right? If you need prayer at three in the morning, um, you can go knock on Julian's window and um, she's there with you. So uh, Julian lived in Norwich, um, and we know that during her lifetime, uh, the Black Plague passed through the city twice. Um, so not once, but twice, she would have suffered the loss of so many uh, people that she loved. It's likely that she was married with children um, before she became an anchorite um, and that she lost her family in, in one of these plague events. And so... Um, as Julian gives us her revelations of divine love, it's from the perspective of someone who has been through really serious suffering right? and has seen the really serious suffering of others. She's not just saying, chin up, it's no big deal, right? Um, she has seen the the worst, the, the depths of suffering um, and of death and destruction. Um, and through that, sort of deeply through it, she points us to the love of God there for us nonetheless. Um, and I think that's how we have to talk about the love of God in the midst of suffering. It can't just be a, things aren't that bad, are they? Uh, they really are that bad. This is a broken world and it's it's full of pain. Um, but God is with us. Um, and Julian gives us probably her most famous line. Uh, she says that at the end of the day, what she saw from God was that all will be well and all will be well and all manner of thing will be well, right? And she's sort of reaching forward in hope um, towards God's future, towards God's good promises for us. But again, not in a kind of uh, naive way at, at all. So she talks about the love of God. Um, and uh, it's really beautiful stuff. I could have written a lot more about her than uh, the the short set of devotions and prayers that are in the book. No. Yeah, her story is stunning. I, I, I've heard of her, I've heard that quote before, but I, I knew nothing more about her than maybe a few memes or such that had popped up. And so I, I thought that the role of an anchoress was so fascinating and and the invitation that you offer to us you know, that same invitation she offered, which was to, to have God meet you in your pain and in the depths of that despair instead of some magical experience that takes us out of that and denies existence. So, um, I think she seems to have known really deeply. So, yeah. In fact, um, we don't know for sure, but anchorites often apparently had a cat. Um, and so Julian is often painted with a cat. And I love that because it's this little earthy, right? Like, it's probably rough to be alone in a cell. Uh, you need something to pet, right? Um, how many of us have been in that that position to you this year? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not a cat person, but I'm still I'm still intrigued by Julian's possible cat. No. Yeah, I like it. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and so and you 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 kind of you take us through her experience, and then 
you also remind us that you know scripture has these um, these spaces that are similar to obviously, and this is where Julian drew her strength. But you know, you talk about psalms of lament and and these experiences of allowing ourselves to sort of shake our fist at heaven and and be angry with God and you know, just uh, culturally, you know, why do you think that lament and, um, and, and and showing our perhaps anger or fear is is so shied away from? Why, you know, why do North Americans, the dominant culture in North America, why, why don't we do lament? Why, why do we skip those psalms and go right to the yeah. culture? You know, what's, what's that about? <laughs> I, I don't remember the numbers, but a huge number of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament, right? And you're right, I think that we pay a lot less attention to them than we do all those beautiful Psalms of Praise that we should also pay attention to, of course. I think we live in a culture that it's about winning, it's about projecting success, it's about telling people how well things are. Um, I think we live in a culture where something like a prosperity gospel has a very easy entry into our psyches. We want to believe that God will make things rich and happy for us, right? Um, and to admit otherwise is is deeply countercultural. Uh, there have been a lot of calls to recover the biblical practice of lament, the biblical psalms of lament uh, in recent years from different quarters. Um, and I'm really sympathetic uh, to those calls. These are, are real human emotions. And again, God is with us in them. Um, I have to highly recommend a book uh, by Soong Chan Ra, uh, R-A-H, um, and it's a commentary on the Book of Lamentations in which he thinks about the practice of lament. Uh, I don't have the name right now, but Google Ra and, and you can find it. Um, and he is so helpful in thinking about how in a world of injustice, right, in a world of pain and suffering, uh, in a world where acts of racism lead to violent death, right? Um, as, as the church is dealing with uh, even today, uh, we need this practice of lament. It's a way of truth telling, right? And maybe that's a part of it too. Our culture isn't into truth telling. Um, we like shiny surfaces um, and not deep truths, but God is otherwise. Amen. Well, it's interesting, even the, um, the, the lifestyle bloggers or influencers who are trying to portray this messy life, you know, are are not actually that messy. You know, it's just it. it I, I, a perfect I, messy life, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm the one to say, and everyone's like, "Hey, we've all been wearing sweatpants for a year," but at the same time, nobody really wants to actually truly show their life. So it's it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting situation. So. You, you tipped on something in that um, comment you made that I, I want to maybe expand on a little bit beyond the pandemic because, um, you know, here we are in North America in, you know, the dominant culture here in the United States. We've been working again through racial trauma and reconciliation. We obviously have all the efforts of, of pandemic. We have this, you know, um, extremist, you know, this, this highly politicized, highly politically charged environment we're in, you know, we're, um, we're in the middle of so much. And the church has been forced to change its delivery systems at the same time all of this is happening. Mm. There are things about the American church experience, whether that's little church, big church, you know, whatever, you know, dominant culture people are in, there are things about the American church that will change from 
this pandemic experience. Some of that may go back to normal, some of that may never change. And I just wondered if you could look ahead, because you, you know you teach future pastors, you teach future leaders, what do you think is going to change about the American church as a result of this year that we've had, whether that's from the pandemic or from reconciling race or whatever it might be? What do you think is going to change? And, and are those good changes or are those, you know, lamented changes? I know it's like six questions at one, but. <laughs> no, I, I'll try a little and probably not get everything. Um, you know, I think in terms of growing consciousness of race and injustice, uh, we can only thank God for that and uh, hope and try uh, to do better than we have uh, done, uh, particularly in the dom predominantly white churches that that I unfortunately know best. Um, not unfortunately, you know what I mean. Um, uh, I think that's not going away. Uh, as I look again at my teenagers, they have a consciousness of racial injustice, um, or my undergraduate students as well, um, which is really heightened. And the pandemic has reminded of this, us of this in important ways too, as we've seen how um, the effects of the pandemic have been uneven, right? Um, affecting uh, racially, uh, uh, marginalized groups more than white groups and and so on. So I feel hopeful um, that the church is going to uh, continue to struggle forward in ways that uh, help us to better testify to God's love for all his people, um, uh, for God's uh, uh, condemnation of racial injustice and, and oppression. Um, it's a hard struggle, right? It's not always gonna be easy. Um, the other thing that just comes to mind first is, I think we don't know <laughs> how the church is gonna change because of the pandemic, but I think it's really important that we avoid a fear-based um, way of going forward. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, we didn't know a year ago what this thing was gonna look like. Right? We thought maybe a couple weeks, we thought maybe a month, um, and here we are a year later, coming up on our second Easter, uh, which won't be, be normal. Um, but God has been at work in the midst of that, right? It's been hard, but interesting things have happened. The Holy Spirit has has been on the move. Um, and I, I think of in the very first weeks of the pandemic, a church leader I know who got an email uh, from an upper level church leader uh, that was just crushingly full of fear. It was warning that this is going to be the end of the church. Probably you can't count on your salary, right? And none of that has materialized. Um, things things have been hard and we continue to move forward. Um, so I want to counsel strongly against fear. Um, and instead, I think we need to be open to what the Spirit is doing uh, amongst us and the directions the Spirit is calling us in. And it's exciting to see what people come up with, the creative things that, um, that people do. I'm not uh, the kind of person who does the creative worship things or uh, the creative outreach things. I, I'm a person who kind of serves that in the background, uh, but I love to watch others doing it. Yeah, yeah it's interesting um, to hear you say that, it, to avoid fear, because I do think people were, like you said early mm -hmm. on, so afraid that this is this was the end of the American church or the, the global church, you know, and again, I'm, I'm talking predominantly American church here because that's the, the, the audience that usually logs in on these. But um, it, it, it's interesting because I think religious institutions in general are no, 
notoriously known for perhaps being um, late adopters to, <laughs> to things or, 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 or hard to change. Mm. But on the flip side, I think in this pandemic, I have seen remarkable adaptation Mm -hmm. and delivery systems for pastoral care and for ministry and sermons or, or churches saying, you know, we're not doing sermons anymore. Let's all get onto Zoom or whatever it might be. It's encouraging because I think that while you could lament some of the loss, there's also so much remarkable adaptation that the spirit of God has led the church to that, that I think is, is definitely worth celebrating. So that's I'm encouraged by it too. I think good things will happen. You know, the pandemic may speed up certain things um, in terms of who comes to church when and, and so on, but it's going to ask us to be really thoughtful about that instead of just letting it happen. Yeah, which is good. We, we need I think to, so. Yeah. We need to just stop and think of it. I think, I think things had been so rote in some spaces. So I think that's great. Um, but we have just a few minutes left. And, um, you know, I we just kind of touched here on the church. Uh, you, we are so excited about this. You are teaching a micro course this summer through the Grow Center. And for those of you listening in who might not know what that is, uh, these are four week kind of mini courses that uh, the Grow Center offers. You can take them for credit if you are a student somewhere, but uh, you can take them you know, without credit, which is what a lot of people do. If you are just a marketplace leader, a ministry professional, somebody who's looking to sharpen your skills, uh, we like to draw people together around some kind of hot topic, urgent conversations, um, ways to learn together. So, uh, Beth, you're teaching one of those this summer. Um, those classes run in June and July. Tell us uh, what you are teaching and why people listening in might want to join your class this summer. I'm very excited about it. And do I have a hot topic? It's the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. Um, one of my favorite topics of all. Uh, theologians often say that we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit, and I think that's true in many contexts. So we're going to have a chance in this short course together uh, to just pause and pay attention to who the Spirit is, um, how the Spirit is revealed in Scripture, how the Spirit works in our lives to empower us and to help us to do things that we could not do on our own, but by the, the grace of God and the presence of the Spirit indwelling us, uh, we may do. Um, I think it's going to be really fun uh, to learn together. I look forward to learning from my students as we talk about um, experiences students have had with the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And I look forward to bringing some really exciting doctrine uh, to the table. I think doctrine is exciting. It's it's my gig um, as we as we think about the Spirit together. So it's going to be fun. That's fantastic. Yeah, I cannot think of a better time to have a conversation around just the movement of the Spirit of God and, and how to celebrate and recognize that presence in our lives. So it's going to be a great class. I'm actually teaching one of those courses myself, and I was really happy to find out that yours was at a different time. So I plan on actually attending your class. So I'm very excited. I'd be honored. Yeah. That would be great. Well, um, I'm going to pray in a minute just to conclude our time. But before I do, uh, if folks want to find this book or learn more about some of the other great work you've um, you've written. Um, you guys, she has uh, several books and um, is a theology professor, so just some thick, good, um, meaty reading that is really good. So how do we find your books? How do we find out more about how to get this book? Tell us. 
Uh, my books are available at Amazon or directly from the publishers. For the Pandemic Prayers publisher is uh, Whiff and Stock. Uh, you can find it at whiffandstock.com. Uh, you can also find me and my books on social media. Uh, on Facebook, I'm Beth Felker Jones. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Beth Felker Jones. Uh, so happy to connect with you there um, and to talk theology and to uh, see what God is doing uh, in our lives. Um, I'd be honored if you take a look at those books. Uh, I've written many of them uh, for the life of the church and I, I, it's really important to me to write in a way that people can uh, understand um, and that's accessible to the people of God. Well, you, you succeed at that. I'm telling you, I was nodding my head within about 30 seconds of opening this up. So it, it changed something in me. It shifted the way I prayed in this and, um, and, and I was able to connect. So thank you. Um, it is I'm honored uh, again. Yeah. You have. So um, friends, if you are interested also in signing up for Beth's course or any of the other Grow Center courses this summer, there are four of them in June and July. Um, all you need to do is go to the Northern Seminary website, click on the Grow Center, or click on the links that are appearing up, down, sideways. I never know which way to point, but they're around this electronic space right now. So you can click on those as well. So uh, Beth, I would love to pray for all of us and um, then we will conclude our time together. So, but thank you for thank joining you. us, for sharing your wisdom, um, sharing your heart and your enthusiasm for what God's doing in the world right now. So let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this space. Again, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for the wisdom um, that your spirit has placed um, in Beth's mind and heart. Thank you for the voice that she brings to the conversations that she is in. Uh, Lord, we pray your rich blessings over her and over all the friends who have joined us for this conversation, Lord. Um, thank you for the Grow Center, and we pray that um, the experience that we share here and beyond this space would be one that brings you glory. In the name of Jesus, all of God's people pray. Amen. Thanks again, Beth. And we will catch up with you soon. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Grow Center's Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Grow Center channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with the Grow Center on Instagram and Facebook at Grow Center Network and our website at www.thegrowcenter.com. See you next time.